Welcome to the Decode 6 podcast, where we take your questions about carbon and ecosystem services and match them to the experts with the answers. I'm your host, DJ May. This week, we're talking about conservation. How do we hit the easy button on conservation practices? That is, how can you take a conservation idea and give it some traction with farmers and landowners? Our expert with the answers is John Swanson. He serves as water resources supervisor in Polk County, Iowa, where he leads both water quality and flood control projects. In recent years, John and his team have developed the batch and build method for private lands conservation, resulting in an increase of over 600% in the adoption of saturated buffers and bioreactors in agricultural fields. He's got some great tips and tricks that will help you help landowners make changes to their practices and improve conservation. Welcome, John. It's great to have you here. Yeah, excited to be here and uh, talking about some fun projects we got going on here in central Iowa. Absolutely. Well, tell me, uh, which practices are you trying to implement and how's it going? Yeah, so we, we've uh, been working here in central Iowa, like me personally, for over 10 years. And uh, we've done a lot of focusing on nutrient reduction, uh, specifically trying to treat tile drainage systems from corn and soybean fields. And lucky enough, the last couple of years, we've really kind of flipped the script and hit some real successes in the world of doing saturated buffers and bioreactors, which are two very specific strategic practices that target tile drainage systems and they intercept that water and they filter it, removing the nutrients that we know, like here in Iowa, Central Iowa specifically, we are a leading contributor to the Gulf hypoxic zone, the Gulf of Mexico. We, there's a lot of nutrients coming off the Iowa landscape. And so... We, uh, we've really focused our efforts on these practices over the last few years. And uh, what we did is we found uh, for saturated buffers and bioreactors across the state until about three years ago, there was only uh, about 80 of them installed. They're relatively new practices. Uh, a lot of so looming questions from landowners about like how they really work, a lot of mis- misconceptions about them. Uh, and to be quite frank, in Iowa, we've had a lot of success with erosion-based practices where we have a mutual benefit benefit between the landowner, the farmer, and the government where we try and tackle that with them. We usually split the costs. And for like several years, myself included, we were trying to address this nutrient issue the same way. Well, the reality of these two practices is they're purely water quality. Like the farmer doesn't see an increase in yield. It doesn't fix an issue of theirs. And so this idea of like 50, uh, splitting the cost 50-50, it just wasn't working. Uh, so what we did differently was really, uh, we took a much more targeted approach. We brought the idea to landowners and we treated it more like a public improvement project. And we said, we want to work with you, help install these on your land, uh, group them together, try and reduce costs, improve efficiencies. Uh, and at the end of the day, just make things simpler across the board. And lo and behold, uh, those techniques, when we put them all together, this term we, we developed, it's called the batch and build process now. Uh, in my local area, we'd installed five of these structures over six years. So now we had, we've installed over 125 in the last two years. Uh, so we're on a pace of over 50 a year that we foresee continuing. Uh, and maybe the most exciting part is we're just one county here in central Iowa. Uh, the model itself is really taking off like wildfire. Uh, we now have upwards of, I believe, 13 different counties are doing similar projects and really, frankly, are seeing the same levels of success. Um, and so as we keep going with that, we've now kind of turned our attention to, to how do we take this new methodology of grouping and targeted outreach and simpler programs and, and uh, apply it to other practices as well? Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, that's just a crazy increase from, what, five to 
fifty a year. That's that's so impressive. Yeah, so five and eight, five and six years to fifty a year yeah. uh, for the last several years. So to me, it's been like a career changing kind of experience. Uh, it's really just like I get to a point where you sit down with a landowner and say like, "What would it take to get you to install? Like, how can we make this work for you?" And when we finally sat down and kind of admitted to ourselves, like maybe we're not doing this the right way. We put all of our programs aside and we just kind of sat down and talked to our landowners and farmers and really figured out what the hurdles were. And then uh, we, we put together a program based around like addressing those hurdles. And the hurdles might be as simple as they don't fully understand the practice or they go in and talk to the government. And every time they go in, they get a different answer. Uh, like, are you allowed to do these on CRP or not? Like, and we what we learned was there's a lot of people out there like sharing uh, the wrong information. So mm-hmm. uh it really, it's, it's been really a good experience. Yeah. Well, well, give me some more detail. Talk me through the batch and build method. So you sit down and you talk with the farmers. That's, that's one step. What happens next? Yeah. So if we were to just really simplify that this batch and build method is uh, to kind of kick things off, like you're working in a watershed, you may have lots of different, you may have different water quality impairments, or maybe different practices you can do to address those. It may be flooding, uh, but what we found is like, okay, we're going to, we're going to focus in on something. And in our case, we're going to focus in on treating tile where we know most nutrients are coming from. That's what all of our research was showing us. And we want to do saturated buffers and bioreactors. So the next step for us was truly, we actually mapped out all the locations using like the latest and greatest GIS tools, like essentially giving us a hit list of fields. They call it, they say, <laughs> don't call it a hit list, but it's like, it's our hit list. Like you want to get in and like check out all these fields. So we found, we said roughly 50 fields. We want to get into these fields. We want to go to the landowner and we say in our and and really simplifying the conversation with them next was the next step. So we actually assigned every landowner a project manager that through the course of the whole project, they were the only person they ever needed to talk to. And they would get them answers. They would be the face of the project to really, again, simplify the conversation. So then we made a pitch to these landowners and said, hey, we want to treat your tile. We want to treat every tile in your fields, but we got to get into your fields and see if this really works and ground truth it. Uh, we then had to learn how to survey more efficiently. We used to survey 10 sites a year. We got to a point where we were surveying 10 sites a day. Um, and we would call those landers and we'd basically make a pitch. Say, we're going to take care of hiring the contractor for you. We're going to take care of all the money. You're not going to be taxed. We're just going to ask you to like, at a certain point, you're going to own and maintain this when we're all said and done. But we, and so we would go out and, and we'd say, after we survey your field, we're going to get back to you in eight weeks. And we're going to tell you what will work in your field. And we're going to share some more details with you at that time. So we gave ourselves an internal deadline. We went out and surveyed every every site. And that first year, we surveyed about 150 sites. Uh, we learned that through over the past couple of years, you don't need to survey every site. Like sometimes you just know sites aren't good sites. But those that worked, we would then go back to the landowner with very specific. And we're like, listen, this is what works in your field. We at that point would share the details of how the funding would work. And we'd have a very specific request. And at that point, it's like we're sitting down with them at their kitchen table. And, and we told them how we're going to take care of pretty much everything for them. And our goal is to not, your drainage isn't going to be messed up. It's going to function the same. And, and usually our response was like, yeah, why wouldn't I do this? And we're like, exactly. There's in this case, like, this is just an easy fit. And some landowners would be like, I don't know, this is new to me. And we're like, Hey, no worries. Like let it, let, let's uh, let your neighbors do it first. Like we're not going anywhere. And so then we really test those waters of grouping sites together. We started designing them in unison. We'd hire one engineer or do it our internally, and we'd, we'd design them all at once. And then we basically figure out how to bid all these projects and groupings because we were running into that. Sometimes it's hard to find a contractor to install a saturated buffer that costs four or $5,000. Uh, 
Um, but like, what if we bid out 20 at a time or 50 mm -hmm. at a time? So we kind of tested those waters. And what we found was it, it in fact did work. Contractors were much more interested in bidding on these in groupings. They knew they were being hired by a government entity. And, and basically we were operating on behalf of all of our landowners. And then essentially we did just that. And, and like we had more control over the, the, the construction. So like most landowners, some of them wanted to be more involved, some less involved, but basically we could take a lot of those pressures off the landowners and just simply deliver practices to their ground. We tore up their land a little bit, but we cleaned it up, reseeded it. And when we left, we made sure they were educated on how to maintain these practices. And boom, we saw this massive increase. But again, the big things were like simplify. Don't be very conscientious of landowners times. Like we only called them when we needed their input on something unless they wanted more contacts. Uh, and then we always gave them expectations of like when we would be in contact next and what the next step would be. And I think we gained a lot of credibility with folks that maybe uh, didn't like working with the government that much, but they saw we were serious and like we were very focused uh, and we were really focused on, we told them exactly what we want to do and we we're just very clear about it. Yeah. And the follow through is there too. I feel like that's big coming back with that plan and sitting down. Absolutely. Yeah. And now, and now what we're at, we're like three years in. We've done over a hundred projects. We've some of the the what we saw that first year is a lot of like the classic landowners that like we've worked with before. The very conservation minded were participating. Second year, third year, like we like really everyone's like, oh, John and his team, they're just normal folks. They're trying to do this project. They're trying to make a difference. They're trying to make it easy for everybody. And we've just seen more and more folks that we honestly didn't think would ever work with us are coming to our door. And uh, honestly, outreach pretty minimal. Like they're coming to us at this point, which my experience over a decade working in central Iowa, like that's crazy. Like <laughs> we're no longer the government, like knocking on your door, like trying to talk into doing something, but it's like, Hey, we heard about you guys from our neighbors. We want to work with you. Uh, let's figure out what works, works in my field. And we're like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad you brought up, you know, kind of that snowball effect with like the conservation minded folks, like the early adopters, you know, people talk about all the time, you have the early adopters and then the lag, but did you, I don't know if you had to look back at what happened. Do you think it's because you had those conservation minded folks that got on board that it did snowball like word of mouth? I think it was personal interactions. I think it was personal relationships. And once we got to a point where we could naturally build those relationships, what I found time and time again is people are well-intended. The problem is people are busy. Like think about a farmer or a landowner, like they probably have a day job. They probably farm on the side. They have kids trying to go to soccer practice. Like, in today's day and age, people are really busy. And what we found the biggest hurdle, what we called it was the hassle factor. Like people want to do conservation. This was, again, this is very clear, like looking back. The problem was this government program, everything was just too complicated. It was too much time and no clear answers. And so when we were able to like simplify and like target something and not to say like we do other practices too, but like to get started, we're like, let's do this one thing. Let's build a good relationship and then we'll see where the relationship goes. But by helping like streamline it, make it make conservation less of a hassle, very like I, I still firmly believe money wasn't the issue. And I, I really think it was just making things more convenient for folks so they can do the right thing and be part of the solution, but make it fit for their time. Yeah, yeah, I like that term, the hassle factor. I, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, we always I have like a PowerPoint slide where I go through like all the, the all these little issues that for one landowner, it might take one issue to, to like be like, nope, too much of a hassle for like somebody who's super into this stuff and like researches conservation every night. Like they might go through all the hassle in the world to get you to the finish line. So if you can take off 
every hassle off the table. You then you sit at people's kitchen tables and they're like, "Why wouldn't I do this?" And you're like, "Exactly, let's let's do it." Yeah. And then it's just you gotta have a relationship with them and then follow through with it. Awesome. Well, I guess if you're gonna summarize here, maybe you know, maybe we're not working with tile drainage; it's some other conservation practice. If you were starting a brand new thing today, what would be your first step, and then how would you carry it through to batch and build? Absolutely. So for me, we started with tile drainage. We're now applying it to wetlands. We're applying it to urban soil quality restorations. We're applying it to cover crops. So it can be done. And to me, the steps really are is like, just focus on what is your priority practice or your priority issue. And like, what do you want to focus on? And if you're like, let's try and knock this one out of the park and then we can move on and do something else. So the first one is prioritize, uh, both prioritize your goals and your solutions and prioritize where you're going to work at. So you got to find out what are the latest and greatest mapping tools because you can't go into a landowner saying this might work in your field. You want to go and saying, we feel strongly this is going to work in your field and we want to work with you. We think we have a good shot and sometimes it's wrong. That's okay. But the closer you're going to be to having good sites mapped out, like when we're talking wetlands, incredibly site specific. Um, so it varies by practice, but then create your hit list. The next one is think about your team. Like who's your team? Who's going to do the outreach? Who's going to be the face of the project? Who's going to design it? Who's going to manage the money? Uh, so build your team. The last part is, is this idea of fiscal agent. And that is traditional conservation in Iowa is a landowner signs up for a conservation program. They hire the contractor. They have the work get done. They may or not, may not pay the whole amount or they at least get an invoice. They then have to submit it back to the government and wait 30 days or whatever it might be for their reimbursement. That is not a convenient process. And like for a motivated landowner, like they're going to go through it. But for a lot of folks, that's too much. So can you, as a local fiscal agent, you manage all the money. You could compile state, federal, local sources. You could hire one contractor to do multiple sites. Uh, landowners may still pay a portion, but maybe they just write you a check for their portion and you manage all the money for them. Incredibly efficient uh, if you do it right. Uh, so the last step would be come up with a funding strategy that is realistic for landowners. And then boom, go forth and... Uh, you're going to have a couple of headaches along the way, no matter what, because that's that's just the, the world we live in. But if you can hide those headaches from landowners, don't don't make the, the landowners have to deal with those headaches. Like figure it out for them and just simplify the process. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Run interference for them and then make it look easy. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. We always joke like in our team, it's like the mythical easy button for conservation because if you do it right, the landowners and farmers are like, that was really easy. And you're like, yeah, it was. But really, you just took the work off their plate as a conservationist. And like, it's it's easy for them, but it's really not easy no matter what. So you're just taking it off the, their plate. No, that's fantastic. Um, any final thoughts, John, before we wrap up? Uh, I'd say I know we may have a wide breadth of folks listening today. Uh, just Google Iowa Batch and Build. You'll find names. You'll find people. You'll find my contact. Uh, I'll tell you, as a person who has done a lot of different practices and worked with landowners, farmers, city folk, uh, if you're talking private lands conservation, really take a deep dive into this. And there's some serious, uh, you can seriously get some practices on the ground by batching them together and building them all at once. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and for being here. Yeah, happy to share. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about John's team and their batch and build method of conservation, check out the show notes. And if you're interested in carbon and ecosystem services and want to dig deeper, come visit us at decode6.org. We'll see you there.